Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. morning. Uh, we are excited to have a, a special guest with us. Uh, evangelist Greg Eby is with us, and uh, he's local to Ohio, Firm Foundation Ministries. Will you give a warm welcome to Pastor Greg as he comes to share with us today? Thank you, Pastor Aaron. For Jesus to raise the dead is no harder than for you and me to waken someone from their sleep. And that's even true on Daylight Saving Sunday. It's not too hard. I mean, hey, Jesus woke me up at uh, what my body clock was saying was 4.30, but it was 5.30 this morning, you know, and tapped me on the shoulder and said it was time to pray. So what we consider supernatural, what we consider a miracle, is just ordinary for Jesus. As God, shouldn't we expect him to do God-sized things? Amen? We face a crisis today, a pandemic of dead faith. But what lies cold in the grave, Jesus will awaken, like waking you up from a nap. Jesus had a man by the name of Jairus come to him in Mark chapter 5, and his daughter was sick. Little did he know he left her at home on a deathbed. But he heard about Jesus. He was a ruler of the synagogue in his area. And he came to Jesus and he said, would you come and heal my little girl who is at home sick? And Jesus said, well, of course. And a big crowd was following along because, hey, they had heard about Jesus. And they thought, he's going to go heal a little girl and everybody's coming. While they're on the way, there's a minor interruption. And while Jesus is dealing with this issue of blood that a woman had and finding out what happened, a messenger comes from Jairus' home and says, don't bother the teacher anymore because your daughter has died. Now Jesus heard what was said and he immediately looked at Jairus and he said, don't be afraid, just believe. So he told the crowd to stay put. They had seen their miracle. They had gotten their money's worth. And uh, they were all excited. And he took Peter, James, and John along with Jairus, and he went to his home. And as they're making the last part of the journey, I can only imagine a father's broken heart. If only I had left a little sooner. If only there hadn't been a delay. He, he had faith to believe Jesus could cure his little girl. But death? When they... Re- came over the rise of the hill and saw the crowd, Jairus' fears came into a reality. He knew for sure his little girl was dead. Because all the mourners were there weeping and crying, and Jesus said, why are you crying? She's not dead. She's only what? She's only asleep. Jesus used that same terminology when he came to uh, Lazarus' home, and he was four days in the grave. He's not dead. He's only asleep. This crowd laughed at him. (laughs) Hey, I don't know about you. I have seen enough dead bodies that I know the difference between 
one who is dead and one who's only asleep. How about you? Okay. We know death when we look in its face. And they laughed. Jesus, this little girl has died. You need to come and get a dose of reality. But he took Jairus and the little girl's mother and the disciples who were with him and went into the little girl's room. And if you've read Mark chapter 5, you know he took her by the hand and he said, Tabitha kum, which means little girl, arise. And she got up immediately without even thinking about it and started running around the room like a 12-year-old girl would. And Jesus said, now you give her some food, give her something to eat. Jesus did God-sized things. What lies cold in the grave, Jesus will raise to life today. It's not too hard for Jesus to raise the dead. We have a plague of lifeless religious works that plagues the church in America today. And it is time for what is dead to come to life. And so faith that lies cold in a grave can come to life today. Now, this is not a new problem. It's been around for a long, long time. Jude chapter 1, verse 3 is our launching point. It's an ancient heart's cry that resonates within me. Jude said, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, let me pause right there for just a second, I would have enjoyed hearing Jude's gospel. You know, half-brother of Jesus, front row seat to the greatest story ever told. Can you imagine the story he would have told? I mean, hey, come on, Jude, tell me about your older brother. Tell me the things that he did. Tell me how you came to know he was the son of God. Because John chapter 7 says not even his brothers believed. But that's a story for another day. He said, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. To contend for the faith. To struggle. To engage in a fight for the faith. He appealed with an urgency of the Holy Spirit that this is what you need to do. I have that urgency today to urge you. To shake you from a slumber, to say, contend for the faith. But for you and me today to contend for the faith, we have to first of all understand what the faith is. We need to recognize that in the church today, we need a paradigm shift in our thinking about faith. Because we tend to think of faith only as a noun of something. But faith is a verb. Look at your neighbor and tell them faith is a verb. In the Old Testament, faith is grounded in a word, a verb, that literally means to support. It is translated into our King James Bibles with over 25 different English phrases and words. And when you add modern uh, translations to that mix, you have an artist's palette full of color that when you begin to study and you begin to comprehend the full meaning of what faith is, 
In Isaiah 22, verse 23, the Lord said, I will plant him or I will uh, nail him like a tent peg into a secure place. How many of you know if you put a tent peg in sandy soil, it's not going to do a whole lot of good? Okay, I was a Royal Ranger. I know that if you put a tent up and it's on sandy ground, it's going to blow away. It's going to fall down with the slightest wind. And I don't know, for whatever reason, whenever I go camping, there's always a storm. <laughs> uh, just, just go to Heartland for family camp. You'll see what I mean. Um, it's put into a secure place that will add a foundation, a security, so that the tent will not fall. And God says he's going to do that. This word is used the first time in Genesis 15, verse 6, where it says that Abram believed the Lord. Same word translated to support. Abram believed the Lord and God counted it to him as what? As righteousness. And so something was working inside of Abraham because how many of you know we are saved by faith, not through works? It was not anything that Abram did, but it was faith. It was God working within him to believe that God credited to him as righteousness. Faith was active. It's also used to describe a nursing mother. And so what does it mean for Abram to believe, to be nursed, to be supported and cared for so that God crowns it to him as righteousness? How is faith active within you and me today as a verb? So that it transforms the way that we live. Now when you look in your Bibles and you go from Malachi to Matthew, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, I want you to know this morning, faith remains the same. Look at your neighbor and tell him, faith remains the same. It doesn't change. I think God knew what he was doing when he chose Hebrew and Greek for the languages that, the, that our scriptures were originally written in. Because in the Greek, the word that is used to form the word we understand as faith is a verb that means to persuade. To persuade. And from that verb come the synonyms that we most often see translated throughout the New Testament as faith, belief, or believe. Hebrews 11 verse 6 uses both the noun and the verb form of faith when it says now faith. Well, that's verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we understand then that by faith, without faith, you cannot please God. But anyone who will, the verb, believe, they will find acceptance by God because he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So faith is active, but our problem is when we think of faith acting, we think of what we do. We think we are acting in faith and we are the focus of the energy. If I tell you this morning to think about a pencil, what are you going to think of? Most of you just now thought of a yellow stick that has a pointy tip with graphite that you can, uh, you know, scribe, scribble onto a paper. The other end has a little brass ring with a pink eraser attached to it, and that's a pencil. We think in terms of nouns and adjectives in Western culture. But for the Jewish people and for Eastern thought, they think in terms of verbs. Everything is a concrete reality with an action. And so when a person from that background thinks of a pencil, they're going to say you write with it. 
Because it's active. It does something. It has a purpose. Faith is active. We need to understand faith as the activity of faithing. That faithing is working within us to support us. That the Holy Spirit has persuaded us to believe. Come on. How many of you know faith is not just another opinion? Looking in the back row. Yeah. You you know that, don't you? Our American culture says, you know, it doesn't matter what your faith is. You can believe in Jesus. You can believe in Allah. You can believe in Muhammad. You can believe in whatever. And it's just another opinion. Your faith is as good as his faith. But the Holy Spirit persuaded us, convinced us, and it is not just another option. It is the only way, and it is at work within us so that we who were dead in our sins and transgressions are made alive in Christ Jesus. Come on, faith is a verb. It's time to stop thinking in terms of nouns and realize God wants to do a work within you from the inside out so that you live what you believe. Dead faith is powerless to live what it believes. I told you we face a crisis of faith. The Lord woke me up a few Sundays ago at 2 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Reminded me of a sermon preached by Bruce Wilkinson years ago, over, over 30 years ago. I couldn't even remember it was preached by Bruce Wilkinson, but Susie, my wife reminded me, oh yeah, it was Bruce Wilkinson who preached that. It's like, oh, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you what he preached that day, but I remembered the three chairs. And so I'm using three chairs this morning from uh, Judges chapter 2. Illustrates what he described just as the three generations of faith. But the Lord woke me up at 2 o'clock that morning to, to... Talk with me about how those three generations represent what is happening in the church today. Judges 2 verse 6 says, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel each went to his inheritance to take possession of the land. That references Joshua 24. We're going to go there in just a minute. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. That's generation number one. And the Lord was talking to me about how that is the generation with resurrected faith. They live what they believe. They're walking with Jesus. Verse 7 continues. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and who had seen. And who had seen the great works that the Lord had done for Israel. Generation number 2. They saw the things that God did, but they didn't walk with the Lord. They heard the stories, but they didn't walk with the Lord. They are a generation of dead faith. Faith with no works. Faith with no life. Verse 10. And all of that generation was gathered to the Lord or was gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them. Look what it says. Who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now Joshua was a peer of Moses. He was the first generation. I like to think that Joshua was a firstborn son of Israel. We don't know that for sure. 
But Joshua was one of those who God delivered and he walked out of Egypt with Moses. And if he was a firstborn son, then Joshua knew what it was to have faith. That when he and his family put the blood upon the doorposts, that that final plague of death that would come throughout Egypt that night, that death would pass over and he would live. Joshua walked with the Lord. He not only walked out of of Egypt with all those whom the Lord delivered according to his promise, but he walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And when they got to the other side and Moses put down his staff, they watched as their enemies were drowned. Come on, God does what? God-sized things. Death is going to be swallowed up in a sea of life. Okay? Joshua lived with resurrected faith. Okay? But there was a generation that was his kids. They saw all the things that God had done. But they weren't walking with the Lord. Isn't it interesting that as you read the story of Israel... You see in Exodus chapter 4 that when Moses and Aaron speak to the crowd, the scripture says that Israel believed the Lord. Same word that's used to, to speak of Abram, their forefather, centuries before. And if God credited to Abraham as righteousness, how many of you know God is not a respecter of persons? If Israel believed the Lord according to the word that Moses and Aaron spoke, he counted it to them as righteousness. But they didn't walk with the Lord. They heard everything that the Lord had said. But they were walking their own path. And so what is it about this dead faith generation? This religious, ritual, lifeless church. Boy, did I enjoy worship this morning. I mean, daylight savings time and we were, we were, I was jumping. Like, whoo, yes. Um, Jesus is alive. He does a work within us, but... This generation is right next to a living generation that's walking with Jesus, but they're not encountering his presence. Let's look back at Joshua chapter 24 and try to get a better picture of what that generation was like. Joshua is calling the people to come and serve the Lord. I want to point out that in Joshua 23, it repeats what is said in in Joshua 13, that Joshua was advanced in years. He knows his time is about done. He lived to 110, and then he died. And he tells them, Now fear, thou therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your forefathers served beyond the river and serve the Lord. And yet if it seems evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you serve. I bet you've preached a few sermons on that verse. Yeah. Come on. Who are you going to serve today, Painesville Assembly of God? Who are you going to serve there sitting in your, in your living room uh, watching today? Are you going to serve God? Or, or are you going to serve the gods of Americans? Other gods. Joshua said, whether you're going to serve the gods of your, that your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're, you live. But as for me and my house... 
He's talking like this first chair. He's talking like this resurrected faith generation. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, how do you think those people answered Joshua that day? They're, they're the generation who've seen things. They're the generation who's heard. They've been to Sunday school. Okay? And so the people answered Far be it that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Therefore, verse 18, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Now look what Joshua says to them, and I I want to point out why he knows this. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he's a holy God. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. When you are a dead faith generation, you know all the right answers. You've been to church. You've heard the sermons. You know what's expected. And so if somebody says, will you serve the Lord? Everybody's, yes, Pastor Greg, I'm going to serve Jesus. But you're still firmly planted in, I want to tell you, out of the three chairs, This dead faith generation, generation number two, it is the most comfortable. I wish we had an easy boy recliner to put up here because that's what this chair is really like. You get comfortable. Why did Joshua say you're not able to serve the Lord? Because when you are living with resurrected faith, you see... How many of you have ever been to the doctor and the doctor gave you bad news and said, you've got a head cold? Maybe it was something worse. But isn't it great when the doctor says, "I, I have the cure for you? Okay? Dead faith has a cure. It's to contend for the faith. But that is a lifetime struggle. That is a battle that does not come to an end. Joshua led the people into freedom, into the promised land. And it was a struggle. You read Joshua's encounter, but yet he walked with God. Remember when they first came into the land? I mean, God did the miracle, the parting of the Jordan River, but then they had to come to Jericho. But God showed them, I'm going to do this. It's not about you. And they walked around for seven days and then they gave a shout and what happened? The walls all came tumbling down and God gave them the victory. But the battle was to continue. That was just Jericho. There were other cities that needed to be defeated. And God wanted them to completely purge the land of all that evil. And yet as you read Joshua and as you read Judges chapter 1, guess what you see? You see compromise you see how easy it is to move from this chair to this chair and so when Joshua says you cannot serve the Lord he knew what he was talking about because he had been here but he found himself here with compromise and he wanted to get back over here but he knew he was an old man now and his life was about over And rather than continue the fight, continue to the struggle of inhabiting the land, he was ready for a rest. Because how many of you know, going to war is hard work? Uh Uh-huh. It's not easy. Joshua slipped into this chair of comfort. 
And yet he had resurrected faith. He had living faith. How do we know that? Joshua was the young man who, when Moses would go to the tent of meeting, and the Lord would descend and speak to Moses, when Moses would go and speak to the people, Joshua remained at the tent. And in Deuteronomy chapter 33, we discover this about Joshua. I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, but that is okay. I'm going to come back to that slide, so I'm, I'm keeping them on their toes in the back. In Deuteronomy 33, the Lord speaks to Moses and tells him, okay, your time is coming to an end. You now are going to consecrate Joshua. Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to give to them and you shall put them in possession of it. You will go to war. You're going to clean out all the evil from the land. It's the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. And when we open up Joshua chapter 1, that's the message that's repeated to Joshua three times. Same words. Don't be afraid. Be bold. Be courageous. You're going to do something big for God. Because he's got living faith. And he begins the battle. He begins the conquest. But again, in Judges chapter 2, this man who had resurrected faith is speaking to a dead faith generation. And it, it says then that that generation, that third generation, did not know the Lord. Look at, look at verse 11 in Judges chapter 2. What became of that generation? And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the balls and they abandoned the Lord their God of their fathers. Who'd brought them out of the land of Egypt. Uh, they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. When you love someone enough. It will provoke you to anger when they are in danger. You will want to protect them. But this generation had a real difficulty with having resurrected faith because this generation sat in the way and they couldn't see the real thing. All they saw was the compromise and the hypocrisy. All they saw was dead faith. Is it any wonder that we see so many young people and even some middle-agers and seniors that get tired of playing church? But Joshua got comfortable in this chair and Moses had laid his hands upon him to consecrate him to take the people into the land to inhabit it. But when Joshua is advanced in years and he is coming to the end of his life, we don't see in Joshua 24 or Judges 1 or Judges 2, Joshua ever take his hands and put them on anybody to lead the people. Why? I want you to know there was one that God could have said, Joshua, lay your hands on Caleb. Because in Judges chapter, or I'm sorry, in Joshua chapter 13, when it first says that Joshua was advanced in years, chapter 14 tells you the story of Caleb. 
Caleb, who is now a man of 85 years, but was one of those spies who went in to spy out the land at the age of 40. And he comes to Joshua and he says, give me that land. Give me my mountain. I want my inheritance. I'm 85 years old, but I am as strong today as I was when I was 40 and spied this land out. It is time for me to have my inheritance. Caleb is walking with Jesus. He has resurrected faith. Why didn't Joshua, who had slid over here and gotten comfortable, who had stopped fighting, who was advanced in years and ready for God's retirement plan in eternity, why didn't he lay his hands on him? You have to have life to beget life. And so even though Caleb had life within him, Joshua had nothing more to give. But there's another reason. You see, Caleb could have led the people to continue to fight and to do away with all the the sin and idolatry that was in the land. But God wasn't just interested in a patch of dirt in Israel called the promised land. He wasn't just interested in a temporary solution for his people God looked centuries later to another Yeshua, Jesus, who would be the one who had no dead faith. He only has living faith. He is the one who can speak to what is dead and bring life because he does God-sized things. He's always faithful to be in this chair. So God wasn't looking for just any man. He was looking for the Son of Man the only begotten Son of God, to come and lead his people not to possess an inheritance of ground, but to possess an eternal kingdom where they will live forever with the Lord. But the problem is this generation, like this generation, is only looking at people they forgot to look to Jesus. Your faith dies when you stop looking to Jesus. Jude 1.3, contend for the faith. Fight for the faith. The battle doesn't end. But I want you to know today, it is very hard to fall in love with a doctrine or a creed. We fall in love and we contend and we struggle to know Jesus. Far too many churches today in the dead faith generation. God created us in his own image. Genesis 1 talks about how we are made in his image. It also talks about how life begets life. That every plant and every form of animal, they all reproduce after its kind. That's why Joshua had nothing to give. Life begets life. When you don't have anything, you can't pass it on. When you're looking at yourself, you're just dead. But when you look to Jesus, when you contend, when you fight, when you struggle, Jesus, I want to know you more. You're my passion. You're my desire. You're my everything. Without you, I am nothing. Faith comes alive. The activity of faith. Not by works, not by anything that you are doing. But he declares you as righteous and the spirit does a work in you that what was dead comes alive. 
How will these generations come back to life? This generation has to move. We got to get this generation out of the way. They need to see the real thing. We need to come and lay our hands upon them. We need to come and speak the word of life. Tabakum, arise, little one. Come to life. Because Jesus still does God-sized things, only he wants to do it through you and he wants to do it through me. We have to stop just sitting in our churches or sitting in our uh, comfortable couches and thinking that, well, hey, the church doors are open. They'll come. No, we are to go out. We are to go and compel them to come. But again, this generation, you know, they want to do the right thing. So this generation wants to witness. But how do they witness? They try to convince them that their doctrine is the right doctrine. We've made God in our own image. Our doctrines confine God to a box instead of the resurrected faith of Jesus that it can't be contained. We need to speak the words of Jesus and speak the words of life so that both of these two generations, the dead faith generation, and I'm sorry, I forgot to name this generation. This is the no faith generation. That dead faith and no faith can come to have resurrected faith and they can live what they believe because it's not your convincing. Let's stop trying to win arguments with our neighbors. Let's stop trying to persuade them and do the job of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who convinced you. The Holy Spirit will convince them just... Acts 2 does not say, you shall receive power and be my defense attorneys. Doesn't say that. It says, you will receive power to be my witnesses. Just tell them what I'm doing in your life. Just look to Jesus. Some of us, the only story we have to tell about Jesus is, well, I was saved back in 1978. Has Jesus gone to sleep since you were first saved? Is he doing nothing in your life today? The dead faith generation has no story to tell. Because they're looking at themselves. and (laughs) I can be most critical of myself. I know my problems. I know my faults. In my book, Resurrected Faith, I say the willingness... To acknowledge our faith is dead and in need of resurrection is not normal. It's not natural. We find it easier to pretend everything's okay. And with a repeated charade, we deceive our hearts. Just as Jesus said to First Assembly of God in Sardis. You have a reputation of being alive. But you are dead. You try to do all the right things, but you're doing it in human energy, trying to impress others, trying to impress yourself. Isn't it amazing we're saved by faith, but we try to then stay saved by works, by what we can do instead of what God does through us? You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus says something about... This generation, this last generation. He told the parable about the persistent widow. 
You've probably preached that one too. So I don't have to preach that. You should pray and not give up. But then he ends this way. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? As surely as there's a generation number one with resurrected faith and a generation number two with dead faith and a generation number three with no faith, there is a fourth generation that in the same way there was a generation that lived to see Jesus come the first time, we are living in the days of gen last. Generation last that will see him come again. Could be our children. Could be you and me, Pastor Aaron. There is a last generation. Will that generation have resurrected faith? Dead faith or no faith? English translators leave out what I think is an important word. Jesus did not say when he comes again, will he find a faith among many? They left out the Greek article that is most often translated the. When Jesus comes, will he find the faith? Will he find the faith that Jude says was entrusted, delivered once for all to the saints, that it has not changed from creation to now? Will that faith still be there? Or in what ways have we added to or subtracted from the faith? That we have a different faith. Jesus isn't looking for a faith. He's looking for the faith. But it could also be translated, will the Son of Man find the this that faith will he find that persevering faith will he find that contending faith will he find that faith that's going to stay in the fight that's not going to give up that's going to see it through to the end my prayer for Prainsville Assembly of God today is that Jesus finds the this that faith in you that there is the faith that is alive that there is that perseverance that you will live and not give up you're going to stay in the battle you're going to stay in the fight and persevere until he comes come on do, do we believe Jesus is coming again then why don't we live like it Why isn't there an urgency in our hearts that these are the last days? We are the generation that will see him come. It's because we have dead faith. Again, in my book, I write this. When something is dead within you, take action to have it removed. Otherwise, you will die. I don't have time to go into it today. But just ask Ananias and Sapphira. Don't think it's just an Old Testament thing, you know, like Ezekiel. God doesn't put up with dead faith. This generation knows God. They've got all the answers. And and I believe that if this generation dies, they go to heaven because they had faith. It's not by works that we're saved. It's by faith. If they look to Jesus, confess that he is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, they shall be saved. doesn't matter what they do from then on out. That's between, it's not for me to judge. We have a judge. He knows. I'm going to leave that to him, not me. 
But Jesus wants us to be resurrected. He wants us to have life that we can share with others. As the worship team comes, what is dead can live again. What is dead can live again. The dead faith generation is about to arise. Ecclesia cum. Church, arise! Church, arise! The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and that brought him out of a grave lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit and it will impart life to a dead faith, no faith generation. Church, arise. I want to invite you this morning to have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. I've said a lot of words this morning, but the Holy Spirit has spoken precisely to you today. I want to ask if the ushers could help me. I've got a connection card. If those could be passed out. We're going to have time of ministry here at the altar for those who want prayer. But you know what? More important than a response for me is that you live what you believe. That the work of faithing is taking place in your heart. And so on this little connection card, there is a place where you can take a minute and you can write not what Pastor Greg said to you, You can write down, this is what Jesus said to me today. Are you living with resurrected faith, but like Joshua, you're beginning to lose the sense of urgency? The fight isn't what it used to be. There's more time of prayerlessness than prayerfulness. Arise, look to Jesus. Stop looking at yourself. Stop trying to do it in your own strength. Jesus will empower you to give life. Is the Holy Spirit helping you to make an honest evaluation of your life today? So that before you look at others in the church and say, yeah, they've got dead faith. They've got a problem. The Holy Spirit says, no, don't be looking at the speck in somebody else's eye deal with the two by four plank in your eye first and are you just simply saying yeah I've, I'm struggling with dead faith I know all the right answers but my focus has been on what I can do and in my strength and in my energy what's the Holy Spirit saying to you are you by chance today a part of the no faith generation I grew up in church I know that no faith comes to church on Sunday morning Because mom and dad tell them to. Or a husband or a wife. They feel obligated to. Are you here today? And the Holy Spirit is saying, stop looking in the wrong direction. Stop looking at other people and their hypocrisy, their compromise. And just look to Jesus. And he'll bring life to you. Susie and I would like nothing more than to be able to pray with you here at this altar, but to also pray with, pray for you throughout this week. So you can fill out a response there. You can drop it off at the table. 
after service and we'll remember to pray for you. But the simple act of writing it down, the simple act of opening up your phone and and putting it into the contact form that's online will be one step towards you remembering what the Holy Spirit said to you today. So as, as we have a response time and a time to pray here at the altar, would you take that 60 seconds and seal what the Holy Spirit has said to you today so that you don't forget it. The Holy Spirit wants to awaken us from our slumber. Is there anybody here today that by just lifting up a hand or if you're watching online to put a comment in in chat to say, I need to look to Jesus as my Savior. I need to confess Him as Lord and have life resonate in me for the first time or the first time in a long time. Is there anyone? Is there anyone today that you would say, Pastor Greg, the Holy Spirit has shown me my dead faith. But I hear the voice of the Savior say, Arise. Arise. And the work that you've been trying to do but are powerless to do, Jesus will do in a moment and life will come back to you today. Is there anyone today lifting up a hand? You'd say, yeah, that's me. Pray, pray for me that I will know the life of Jesus in me again. I know that I know that you have a good pastor. Come here, Pastor Aaron. And I know that from the little bit that I watched of last week's message, you have a pastor who has resurrected faith. He wants, yeah. Because if life's not in him, there's certainly not going to be any life out here. And I've stood in his shoes. I've been there and I, and I know what it is to struggle and, and how hard it can be to not want to offend people that you love. So I'm here today to step on your toes. Not just because it makes me feel good, but because, again, the Holy Spirit wants to awaken us. And I know from experience, the Holy Spirit put me in a hospital bed for five days to wake me up and show me that as a pastor, I had dead faith. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will shake us to an awakening. And other times he's gentle. Susie likes soft, gentle alarms. Maybe you're like that this morning. You're sitting comfortably in your dead faith chair. But you'll hear this song. Wake up, oh sleeper, wake up. Wake up, oh sleeper, wake up. 
Rise up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be careful not to sleepwalk. The days are evil. The days are evil. Learn to be wise. Ephesians 5, 14, 15, and 16. Did I tell you it's been around a long time? Wake up, O sleeper. You might remember three chairs. You might remember a song. But I want you to remember you have a pastor who has life within him. The life of Jesus. Don't just put your eyes on a man. But see Jesus in him. And look to Jesus. Because Jesus wants to transform Painesville. And it begins with your neighbor. Maybe it begins in your living room and then your neighbor. Look to Jesus. Would you extend a hand this way? Thank you, Lord, for the life of Jesus that comes and lives within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by works, not by our own effort. And I thank you, Lord, for Pastor Aaron and the life of Jesus that I see resonating within him. The love, the compassion, the care, a heart to see the power of God released in this community. That there would be miracles take place. That God-sized things would happen in Painesville. Because you are God. And so it's not about us. But Lord, it is about us having an ear to hear what your spirit says to us. So that we walk in step with you. Church, arise. Look to Jesus. I pray, Lord, that the life of Jesus within Pastor Aaron is continually imparted to his staff and to his congregation and that with love they don't follow a man but they follow Jesus and that Jesus begins to walk the streets of Painesville because Lord there's not enough room to hold the countless numbers whom you love and died for May we be resurrected faith to impart life to them, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. As we conclude today, I'm going to let Pastor Aaron finish off however you like. Susie and I will be here to pray with you if we'd like. We'll make our way to the book table as well. But allow the Holy Spirit to seal the word that he has spoken to you today. God bless you, and I love you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.